Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted. Please see the impact they are having in their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. We are so excited about today's show. Missy and I are happy to welcome Amy Whitfield to the Women in Work podcast. Amy, welcome. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Doing We're great. To have you. It's fun to do this. I mean, Missy and I are here in the same town. We're not in the same room doing this, but I think we're like, we're just right over the hill from each other. Yeah, so. it's, not, it's not even a mile. We are apart from each other right now. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm all the way in West Texas, so I am very far away. 12, right, at least right. 100 miles. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness for technology. Okay. So if you do not know Amy, let me tell you a little bit about her. She works as the executive director of communications at the Summit Church in uh, the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. She came into this role after serving as the associate vice president for convention communications for the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's a whole mouthful there. Well, yeah, that was a that was a long one. <laughs> There's a little bit more though that you have done that is also quite a mouthful, but we're going to go ahead and spit it out. So before these two things, she did, had another communications role. She was director of marketing and communications for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is where Missy works right now. And um, she had, Amy has also worked for Lifeway Christian Resources and even the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So we got a couple of seminaries in there. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. She has co-authored the book SBC FAQs, A Ready Reference with Keith Harper, which is it's kind of fun to say. It's, it, those are a lot of, what do you call those? Not acronyms. Is that acronyms? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot. Yes. SBC FAQs. You can explain that in a minute. Um, and besides all of that, she co-hosts the SBC This Week podcast with all of our BFF, Jonathan Howe. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love Jonathan, right? She is on the steering team for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. And last but certainly not least, she serves on the board of directors for our very own Women and Work, which right. we're so grateful. She lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina with her husband, Keith, and they have two children, Mary and Drew. And this is so much fun because actually I met, this is all like, we're a little family here because I met Missy through Amy. I wouldn't even know Missy if it weren't for Amy. And so this is, and you guys have known each other forever, right? How long? Oh, well, I've been here probably five years. So I met Amy here. Amy was a leader here on campus and that was a godsend to 
get into leadership and have another woman leader on campus like Amy was a blessing. Well, and Missy, when Missy came came into the community at Southeastern and was on staff, she was a godsend because I felt like there weren't very many of us and we needed more. So I was very excited to have her uh, around on the team. It was awesome. Well, Amy, so what we do, we always laugh at this. We call this our rapid fire questions, but we are always cracking up so much in between that they don't happen rapidly at all, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. So we have three questions that we're going to ask you that we ask every guest, and they're just a lot of fun. So the first question is, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A teacher. That's oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. my, mom, my mom was a teacher, so that's what I knew. Yep. I love it. All right. Second question. We're going pretty rapidly. This is good. Amy, what was your first job? So... I was, um, I, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was part of a kid's choir and we would have, we had paid gigs. So so I was, I think I was eight the first, I did it like when I was eight until I was 16 and then, yeah. Yeah. See, Missy, you didn't see that coming. You didn't see that coming. That is probably my favorite first job ever. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> was it a choir? What What did you say? Some type it of like, ensemble? It was, no, it was like, because you're in Nashville, and oh, so people right. would be doing, like, kids' albums and stuff, and so they would need kids' voices. Oh, yeah. So girl. then we would all go, like, yeah. it, you know, we would be, there'd be like 10 of us or whatever, and we would go. She's a recording artist. Yes, she is. She's a professional. Yeah, I think that's probably, my mom, that's what my mom used to tell people. My daughter's <laughs> a recording artist. I was like, I no, no, no one I mean, knows my name. But, she's holding that yeah. microphone right now like she's been doing it all her life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is why we don't do questions Okay. What kind of work would you love to be doing when you're 80 years old? My goodness. That's a very hard question. Um, I've always said I wish someone would just like uh, pay me money to just read books all the time. So maybe I'd work in a library. That would okay. be a great thing to do as an 80 year old. I like it. I like it. Now, did you grow up in a Christian home? What, at what point did you become a Christian? Yeah, I did. Um, so I grew up, I was, we, we were very involved, like I said, it was a rural community, so very small church and very involved in it. It was the church my mom had grown up in, my grandfather had grown up in it, you know, so it had been in our community forever and still is there. Um, but I did grow up, uh, as I came to understand the Bible, I was really um really eager. I, I took in a lot of facts and knowledge. I was very good at like Bible trivia and Bible, you know, just all, all those things. Um, but I really took it in and understood it in a way that was much more about what I can do for God and not what God mm-hmm. has done for me. That's how I perceived it. And so I was, I was very much, I am a rule follower. I was really into kind of, uh, you know, doing everything that fits in with good behavior. I loved, you know, being kind of the the teacher's favorite, things like that. I'm going to get teased mercilessly, you know, for people who hear that. But that was what that that was was my personality. So it didn't always make me uh, popular with with all the other kids. But that was kind of my personality. So that kind of understanding of the Bible mixed with my personality made for a a difficult 
way of life in that I, I didn't necessarily see the Bible in a legalistic way that led me to judge others, but more in a legalistic way that led me to have a lot of personal anxiety. Was I ever doing enough or measuring up? And so I went to a, a Christian high school and in that school through like teachers and chapel speakers, things like that. Over those four years, I had a, uh, a kind of just pieces here and there mm-hmm. of, uh, of the gospel and what it meant were being told to me, you know, I, I would hear it in these different ways. I was still kind of fitting it in my own grid, but I was definitely getting the message. And so I was at a, um, I was in college. I was a freshman in college and I was at a retreat with one of my, uh, walking around with one of my friends and she mentioned she was leading a huddle group. So she was going to hers and I was about to go to mine. And, and she mentioned that she had used the, um, the illustration with her huddle group about if you were to die, how certain would you be that you were going to heaven? And, and I was sitting there in my mind thinking about what she was saying. I'd never heard the illustration before. And I thought, well, it's, I'm at a retreat. I've been in all these uh, sessions. I'm feeling pretty good and spiritual. So maybe I'm like a good 75, 80%. And then she just, she just very offhandedly, she thought I knew the illustration. She said, yeah. And then I explained to the group, it can only be zero or 100%. And then she just moves on. Like she's telling me the story about this interaction and I'm trying to play it cool. Cause I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense. And so then we parted ways and I was by myself walking on the way to my huddle group. And I was, it was like playing in my mind, like zero or a hundred, zero or a hundred. How can that be possible and it was like a light bulb went on. I always say it was like the it was like the last piece of the puzzle went into place that all these things I had heard about the gospel mm. through the years, that it was like, oh, it's because of what Jesus did for me. Wow. And so at that stage, then I had all this knowledge that had built up and it was like my the lens I was looking through changed. Wow. And so it's it's such a kind of it was kind of a wild experience because then I didn't have, you know, my discipleship journey was really different because I'm taking all these things that I had known, but I'm seeing and understanding them in a new way. Well, Amy, we w- I would love for you to share with us like uh, a little about your work journey. So, cause listening to your bio, your bio, one would think <laughs> Amy is pretty committed to the SBC. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you've worked at the convention and several of the other entities. Um, how did this come about and was it intentional to work right. at SBC? Yeah, no. So the the only intention was that when we got married, Keith was a student at Southern Seminary. So he had mm-hmm. gone, um, he had gone and mo- moved away after we met, went to Louisville. And so we had a long distance and then we got married and I got up there and the only intention was that we needed to pay our bills. And mm-hmm. the easiest thing, we lived in an apartment on campus and the easiest thing was to go to their personnel office and to put my yep. application in. Good. <laughs> so I got my first job there. It was, it was pretty entry level, um, but I enjoyed it, you know, connected with people. I don't have a Southern Baptist background. So, I mean, it, okay. it was kind of, it was kind of wild and, yeah. And people are always amazed when I tell them that because, you know, you have all these really influential leaders in the SBC um, and I didn't know who any of them were. So like <laughs> they would come to campus as speakers. I would be processing, you know, 
uh, the, some of the stuff from their visit and I wouldn't know who they were. I'd go walk up to them and say stuff. And, and then I would find out later people would be like, do you know who you just talked to? You know? <laughs> and um, so I, so I just needed a job. And so I had, it was great. So that first year I had planned, well, I'll do this job. It's convenient. It'll pay the bills. And then I will look, cause I had a, a, a college degree in politics. And so I thought, well, I'll look in the area for something that maybe fits more of, of my degree, or maybe I'll look at going to, you know, uh, get my master's, you know, things like that. So I, I, that was what I expected to do. And then at the end of my first year, a position opened in academic administration at the seminary there. And I, that job was offered to me. So that was, I worked for Danny Aiken there at Southern Seminary. That's who I worked for. So I took it because it was a great opportunity. It was great for us. We still, you know, we lived really close. It was like, why not? It's like a great job. Yeah. And that's just kind of where the road started. So just one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, led to another. And so I did that. Mm -hmm. I, I worked there in academic administration and learned a lot about, you know, theological education. I learned a lot about Southern Baptist education. You know, I, I kind of caught on to the mission of it all. And then some of my gifts, you know, and training fit the, the, the role there. So then we had, we had our kids and I went home uh, to be with them primarily, but there was, that was like really early in the remote work days, but um, sort of as a part, a part-time, very, very part-time, I continued to do some work for Southern Seminary. And so okay. I, I did some things for them for several years. And then at that stage, it really just, I was in the system. I knew people, there were people I had worked with at Southern who ended up going to Lifeway. And so then I got, you know, they, they remembered me, they had worked with me, thought I, you know, had, had done well in that role and could could do some other ones so it was a life way and then the lord called us to southeastern and you know it just kind of just went each, from there yeah each connection sort of nice. unfolded what's interesting though is that i did begin to see how i guess there were two things one that networking really does matter. And sometimes you're networking when you don't even realize it, like people just remember you for the work you did or or whatever. Um, So that's important. I mean, sometimes you think no one's watching and they are, Mm -hmm. but but also I didn't really see a path for the things that I was best at or for the, the training I had gotten or the, you know, the education I had gotten in college, I didn't see a path in denominational life for that. And then one day I stopped and I thought, you know, all the things that I was best at that I can even look back to high school and college are the things I'm actually doing now. And so, yeah. And so, I mean, some of that I just see as sort of the hand of the Lord. Some of it I see as, you know, you really do kind of bring your own gifts to bear in in situations and you can, and you can do that. You can kind of live, be yourself and live fully in who you are and the things that are um, kind of like breathing to you. You know, there are, I heard a great interview one time with a, a screenwriter and someone said, when do you find time to write? And she said, I don't find time to write. Writing is like breathing to me. Wow. And I, and I thought, 
um, in that moment, I thought, okay, everybody's got something like, what are the things, what are the things that you just do without even trying, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. And I, like, I'm Mm -hmm. a, I'm always thinking strategy all the time. I'm always like seeing Mm -hmm. how dots connect and things. So I start, I, I started to realize those are the things that kind of would come to the surface. So yeah, it, I just, I took a job and here I am. And the Lord did what he does. Yeah. Yes. No, I think you're, I mean, even just going back to what you said about the networking, I mean, just as we already mentioned, just even you introducing me to Missy, Yep. here we are three years later or so and interviewing. I mean, it's just so fun how the Lord connects his dots and brings about his purposes that we would have never, you could have never seen you use your degree within all this Southern Baptist world. I love it. Yep. So as you have worked um, in all these various entities within this denomination, where, where have you been encouraged, Amy? Um, so I have been most encouraged by, uh, the people in uh, the people in every entity I've worked in. And now when I'm working on at the, at the church level, which I love, um, by the way, because I remember hearing somebody, a faculty member at Southern seminary one time talk about how he had thought as a student that the pinnacle was to become a seminary professor. And when he got and when he got to that role and started having students come through his classroom, he realized that those who were going out to work in the local church are on the front lines of ministry. And that's the place to be. So I've I I hear his voice in my head and I've realized that like now after all these years for the first time I get I'm actually getting to be on the front lines and that that's that's a, an exciting opportunity. So at this le- at the local church level and then also at the denominational level I have been amazed by how many people I have encountered who are just hard workers and they just want, they just want to do well and they want to make, um, they want to make things better, you know, and, and the, the Southern Baptist convention, it's a system and it's a a complicated system. It's a peculiar system. And I I don't even mean that about the people you can take, you know, every, everybody can assess that as they will, but, but, but the, but the design of the system is so different. Like there's nothing else that's like this. And, and every, every entity, the, the principle of autonomy that flows through everything means that all the entities are kind of connected together, but they're held in sort of attention. And um, so it's the type of thing that, because it's not top down, you don't just get like edicts from somewhere that come down. It actually, the system only works if everyone works at it. And so what I have loved has been all the people that I've encountered that are many of us that like folks don't even know, but, but everybody, we're all just trying in our spot to make the system better. That's good. Um, that's, that's, that's when I'm most inspired is people who really want to engage. So that is so one of the things you said was just that idea of a people wanting to engage and then the idea of the church being the front lines. Yeah. Um, and just the thought of that, I that makes me wonder how can women contribute intentionally to the flourishing of this denomination or any denomination? How can women use their gifts and skills on the front lines uh, to make things better? Yeah. So one thing that I really encourage other women on is just keep, keep showing up. Um, sometimes it can be discouraging because, you know, folks may mm-hmm. feel like they, women may feel like they do things for a long time and no one sees. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, 
I think more, more see than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, I, uh, I think it, what's important is there are more and more leaders who are beginning to invite women into conversations, into the room, ask for perspective, want participation. And I think that the, the huge, uh, important piece of that is we need to be ready, like be, be ready, go ahead and have fit, like have thought out your, you know, your input so that when you're asked for it or when you have an opening and you're able to, to share it, you're ready to give it like to be articulate, you know, and thought out. And, and I, I, I think that's a huge piece is to begin, you know, just to be prepared. I heard, uh, I think it was, um, it's a, it was a speaker and a writer that was with Lifeway back several years ago. Angela Thomas, I think was mm-hmm. is her name, Thomas Farr. Um, and I heard her speak one time and she was talking about women who really wanted to be speakers and that her advice was twofold. One was uh, take every opportunity that you're given that you, it, you know, as long as it can fit on your plate, if you get asked to go speak to the garden club with eight people, go do it. Get, get, get experience, build your network and get practice. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is while you're waiting for the opportunity, go ahead and be studying what you want to talk about. Yes. So that's incredible. That's incredible advice for a speaker. That was not the, the, kind of pathway that I wanted to pursue as far as public speaking, but I turned around and applied that to what my pathway was, which essentially was number one, take every opportunity that you have. I was in one job at Lifeway and my boss called me into the office and said, Hey, I wanted to see if you could help out with our blog. So I said, sure, I I can help. And he said, I need you to draft up the like basics of a post on apostolic harvest church planting. (laughs) And I I just like straight, just like straight face as if I wasn't even fed. I was like, absolutely. I can go do that right now. And then I went next door and I looked up apostolic harvest church planting to see what it was. (laughs) Right. And, um, and so, you know, because that was my opportunity. Like right. I, it, little thing, but it was my opportunity to show like I can figure this out and I can do it. And then the other piece, like she said, was to spend time getting ready for the day when I might have an opportunity. So in that job with that same uh, Lifeway person, when he would receive an email from Tom Rayner that, who was like telling the leadership team, I want you to read this article. And he would say, Hey, can you print that out? I would print out too. Because I was like, if he's reading it, I want to read it. So I really did. Um, Selma Wilson at Lifeway used to say, own your own development. That's how it is. Yeah. So that's what I did. I took every opportunity and then I prepared yeah. when I didn't have any. That's really good. So, so good. Show up, be prepared, be willing to do it, be ready to do it. I love it. Mm-hmm. So another thing that kind of runs through your work history is this, uh, is this ongoing development with communication. You seem to love communication. So tell us <laughs> what you do now um, at the Summit Church um, as the executive director of communications. Sure. So it's, it's kind of a new position. I mean, they, there's already an amazing team there that handles kind of the creative side of communications and the digital side. So, uh, so I, they're, they're doing an unbelievable job there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I came in in a role that does a lot more on kind of internal communications among the staff. It's a really large staff and it's a multi-site church. So we have campuses all over the triangle. Uh, so there's various, you know, there's a, the central staff and then there's the campus staffs and, and not everyone is able to uh, spend time together all the time. So how do you make sure everybody's on the same page and use the mm-hmm. tools that we have to, to communicate in a way that connects us all? So a lot of that also a lot of ways, you know, certain things when we're letting the church know about, about things, uh, you know, it, it might, it, it might be something that at one campus is a, is a, a, an issue of major interest. And at another one, it's a different level of interest. So how do you share the news in such a way that really meets the people where they are in, in the various campuses or, or whatever. So thinking about like message continuity and then also just helping the leaders in, as they think about their own, you know, messaging. So this is more with how to get information out well to the church externally, to other constituents, things like that. So, um, so it's, it's great. I'm loving it because you have incredible leaders who have this great mission and I get to come in and help think through the words, just think mm, through how yeah. to, how to say it in such a way that, that people will really capture it and understand it. So I'm a lover of words. I tell people, I listen to people's words. Like if you mispronounce it, I can barely get through a conversation because I want to think the words you've said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that L is silent. You should probably, I'm not, I know we moved past it, but I just, you know, like I mean, I'm about words and communication. And clearly you are, you have experience in this, both outward communication and inward communication. So how can women who work in this field, in the communication field, which it may not be at a church or anywhere else, how could they say that they are able to image God in this work? Oh yeah. So that's a, that's great. That's a great question because I mean, we have, a God who created the universe by speaking. Mm. So words are like, I mean, they, they come out in the very beginning. I mean, mm. let there be that, like, that's how he did it. And so, so in throughout everything that we have, I mean, scripture is he's come to us through, he's told us this story through his word. And so we get to see already that his message, you know, came that way. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also know that, you know, God is a lover of truth and he, uh, he brings truth. And so I think it's an incredible thing to be able to take something, especially when we're talking about his mission in the world mm-hmm. to say, uh, if you have someone who is a leader or someone who, who is trying to communicate something, and if you get the chance to come along and help them to do that in such a way that the hearers can really hear it. Yeah. or that the hearers don't get distracted by this kind of random sentence over here that that all of a sudden kind of pulls their attention. So mm. getting to fine tune things like that um, mm-hmm. is just, it's a great way to, to kind of help people, help us all get out of our own way and let the words actually do their, do their job. Um, so I, I, I think it's a, it, it's, it's one of those things that I didn't realize. I mean, I loved spending my time on. And then one day I thought, Oh, I get to do this. This is what I, this is what I do all day. So Mm -hmm. it's awesome. It's really important. Um, so you talked about how the summit church is, is, has multi-campuses. Um, so are you with this internal communication there at the church that you are overseeing, 
Is there a team that you're leading and what does that look like? And tell us about that. Yeah, I'm really more of a dotted line connection to people all throughout the organization. So there, like I said, there was already a team of people that is like the, you know, creative team mm-hmm. and digital team and things, and they were already in, in place. So I worked sort of alongside them. Um, so that's a, a different, you know, when I was at Southeastern, I had a team of about eight or nine people at the executive committee. I really only had, uh, I worked alongside a number of people and then I had one person who worked directly for me. And then I, I had another person that kind of shared with, with someone else. So it was a little bit that, that the whole organization only has about 30 people. So that was pretty mm-hmm. small. Anyway, this time I'm in a spot where it's a little bit of different kind of leadership where it's, it, it's sort of bringing maybe some assistance, some support to a lot of people, guidance in, in whatever processes we're having, mm-hmm. but not necessarily having a large team with a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of enjoying that, to be honest. I love, I love to lead teams. I think that's great. And I will do it again, you know, uh, one day if that comes, but I am, I mean, I, I do love to spend a lot of my time doing strategic thinking. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, you know, when you lead, you you have to execute a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, my, my mind is freed up to focus more on strategic thinking. And then I'm working with different teams all over the place. I get that. I love it. Amy, I don't know if you remember this, but um, when you were here, I had you come and speak to the ladies for our, um, uh, I think it was a work luncheon, uh, women in work or something. It was really called something like that, like women in work or yeah. women in workplace luncheon. And yeah. um you spoke on ambition. Right. And I mean, that message rocked me. Like it was just so encouraging and freeing at the same time. Um, and it just really talked just the idea that it's okay to be ambitious, that ambition in of, of itself is not a negative yeah. thing. And yeah. we need to be afraid of it. Um, because people who see themselves as leaders, women who see themselves as leaders are often afraid of that because right. they don't want to be perceived as being ambitious, but there's nothing wrong with being ambitious, right? right? So did you always see yourself as a leader? And what has been the hardest part in taking what you knew about yourself whenever that came about and then actually going and doing it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't know that I ever really articulated to myself, like, am I a leader or am, am I not a leader? I can look back. hmm Throughout, like even all the way back to, I mean, when I was in school and and I guess I did, I mean, I was class president, you know, when I was in high school and things like that. So I ran for things. I, Mm -hmm. I tried, I tried for things. I did things in college. So I would step up into leadership positions, but I didn't think much about where I fit, you know, on things. Um, And, you know, when you move into an area where, I mean, we'll just, we'll just be honest. I'm not trying to knock anything, but just be honest where there are not a lot of women in leadership mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard to navigate how you fit into that. Where does the, exactly. where, where does the leadership, you know, impulse go? Right. And I will say that I've, I have learned um, that leadership comes in so many different ways you know, it may come just, it, it, it may come just in your input in a meeting. You may start to, you know, realize that the projects you get to work on, the things, the way you're getting to speak into things, you really actually are 
leading. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. to be like the top person right. on the org chart. Um, so it's kind of something that I think was always there, but I didn't really um, recognize it mm-hmm. or acknowledge it. I, I didn't, I, I didn't see it. And then I think Selma Wilson at Lifeway was the first role model I had to really look at and say, I can actually pursue this as a good thing. Like I can develop as a leader. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think I I always was, and I, I don't, I I speak up, like I don't hold back. That's, I'm, that's just in me. And I don't know if that's always a good thing or not. Um, I try to be, I think of the communication side of me, I'm pretty measured, you know, in how to like what I'm going to say and when, but Uh, But I've never, I've never held back in that way, but I didn't think it was something that I could actually aspire to until I saw Selma. Right. Well, so here's a follow-up. What do you think women should know about leading teams, particularly if they're just seeing themselves as leaders now? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is that you need to you never know. Cause I, I didn't ever anticipate that I would be in a spot to be able to lead teams in, in this, in this yeah. world. Yeah. So I wasn't preparing for that. Sure. I was more preparing for like how to think about things, you know, how to pitch in. Um, and so you come into a spot where all of a sudden you are leading a team, honestly, just developing your people skills, your ability mm-hmm. to read people, your ability to, to have, good, strong relationships. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a skill that it doesn't matter if you're leading a team or not that you can already develop and it will, it will benefit you. Um, also just pursuing personal humility, you know, things like mm-hmm. that you know, can begin to prepare you, but then also, but, th- but then also realizing, um, that when you lead a team, I mean, you have, you have to really care for those people. I mean, every single one of them as individuals. So, uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of things that I think prepare you to be a team leader are there's some, there's some great books out there. There are some great exercises to sort of be able to learn how to lead teams, but it's a, I mean, it's a spiritual development process too, at just what it means to kind of walk with other people. That's very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, in the circles that you have served and worked in um, would all be complementarian settings where, yes, you know, so I'm just curious, though, in maybe I'm thinking about the seminaries you worked in. These are not churches. uh, They're institutions, academic institutions. Have you had the opportunity in those situations to actually lead men? Did you have maybe some guys on your team that you were leading and instructing? Well, Tell us um, how that worked out. You know, what, you know, we're kind of curious, like how'd that go? Yeah, sure. So yes, um, I have worked in only complementarian settings and, and I, that's, I'm a complementarian. So that, that works. Um, but, you know, I, I did have men on my team and in some ways, you know, some of it may have been made a little bit simpler by the fact that they were younger than me, that it doesn't have to be, but I be that way, but I can just say that I think that helps sometimes. Um, but you know, in my area, first of all, the, the guys that were on my team were just incredible. Like they were incredible, incredible people, um, godly kind people and hard workers. And, um, 
I, I don't think I led them in any different way than the women. Like I just tried to get to know them as people and, and come alongside them. And two things I think I, I did though, was one, I wasn't afraid, like I wasn't going to be difficult with them, but I also wasn't afraid to say, no, we're not going to do that in that way. Here's what we're going to do. And here's okay. why. And so I would try to teach as, as I was leading, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was like, um, one was uh, doing social media. And so I had some expertise in that, in social media strategy. And so I really did that. The other one, like another one was in graphic design and I had no expertise. I could only say like, I like that. I don't right. like that. And so I, I honored his skill and talent. And then I, but I still knew that I had to make decisions. And so, um, so I did a lot to, to build those relationships. And then also, to just, you know, just try to not be weird about it, you know, yeah. uh, just let's, <laughs> let's all walk together. And, yeah. and the other thing that I think is an important, I think it helped with that, but it's also important for leadership in general is, you know, I also was, I, what is the, the, the illustration of like player coach or whatever, like I, I got in there with them. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. and it was crunch time when we were redoing the website we're all hands on deck. Give everybody a login. You're updating that page. I'm updating this page. We're all in this together. Yes. And I'm going to be doing the, the grunt work right alongside everybody. And let's all bring snacks and hang out and, and, you know, share our lives with each other. And so I think that just allowed for it to be a natural, you know, build a natural team, team sense, but okay. they they were incredible. Um, and, and they really made up for my shortcomings where I didn't know what to do or where I was, was weak. They were strong. And so, uh, I, I, that team is incredible, incredible group. I will say too, I've gotten, I had the privilege of seeing some of that, of witnessing the team you led, which you're right. They were great men, (laughs) great people on that team. And, um, seeing where some of them have gone from there. It's been great to see how the impact of your leadership really did bless them. And then, yeah, it was also inspiring to watch as a, as a person who this was my first time leading teams um, professionally, like I did at church, but you know, this is the first time leading professionally. It was fun to watch you even in those situations that I'm like, she's just really not making it weird. It just doesn't have to be weird. (laughs) So that's great. Well, the Summit Church under um, Pastor J.D., they've made strides in terms of how they are being um, intentional with showing their value for women um, in the church and in leadership and different things like that. What are some wins that you see in your church that you're grateful for and that you'd love to see maybe some other churches adopt? Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course I want to be honest. I mean, I'm, I've been there three months now, so I'm still (laughs) kind of learning the rope. So a lot of what I know about my church is what I've seen from the outside. Right. Um, but what I see there is a real, uh, not just a, um, not just a willingness, you know, for letting, you know, women have different kinds of roles, but, but also a desire to model something that is great in relationships between men and women in the church um, with wisdom and with care and also with just love. I mean, just 
uh, as brothers and sisters kind of moving together and honoring all of the gifts that, um, that men and women both bring to the table. And so mm-hmm. there's a real desire on the part of leadership and that's been, been modeled and expressed um, both from the pulpit, but then also in how they have wanted to bring women onto the team. So I love that. What I, what I see right now is that we are in a culture that really traffics in extremes. And so, um, so, yes. and we're seeing that in this discussion too, that yeah. it's, that it's like you either have to have this like super extreme model in one direction or, um, you know, that some very, very specific extreme applications of, uh, of what the Bible says about men and women, or on the other side, like if you're not that, then you have to be full blown, you know, egalitarian. And I think there is a great, there are great ways, um, to model, men and women walking together in their gifts, flourishing, and also doing so in a way uh, that is in the order that God has set up in the, in the church. Um, and I see an opportunity for our church to really model that for others. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's what I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm all about like, let, let's not feel like we have to go all the way to one extreme or the other right. on a number of issues. And I'm talking specifically about applications. I'm not talking about the, you know, doctrine, things right. like that, but on mm-hmm. a number of issues, let's, let, let's model, let's model that. And so I think, I think there's one, but it's, it's a great, it's been a great three months and I have met so many people that are just pe- devout people of prayer and truly mission focused. And, and it's just a great, it, it's, it's a great place to be. That's so wonderful. great. Well, you know, a few months back, we, um, our women in work book club had the privilege of reading, uh, pastor JD Greer's book. What are you going to do with your life? And we were able to have him on, um, and interview him. And, um, it was just so, so encouraging. Um, he had written an article, actually it was from a sermon, um, it's called the church needs more Debra's. And we're actually going to link yes. to that in the mm-hmm. show notes because that article alone, I mean, it's just a, a short little article yeah. and then the message, but it is just so life-giving to women, how his mm-hmm. own heart and how it seemed like he's leading um, your church to really value women. And I was so encouraged and uplifted by just talking with him through that interview and one of the things that he brought out in that interview was that there was um, a time and maybe he still is, but whenever a position um, comes open at the church to hire someone, whereas in the past they would always, they would just automatically think what male can go in this spot, right? Especially if it's, yeah. I mean, even if it has really very little to do with teaching or making some strategic leadership decisions of the church body, it was just assumed they were going to hire a man. And so he said, one of the things they started to do was really think through, wait a minute, you know, um, there might be women. <laughs> this could be, there's no reason, yeah. there's no good reason we mm-hmm. haven't thought or considered of hiring a woman. And so honestly, just seeing you in this role is really cool because he kind of had talked about that. And so anyway, um, so I'm so happy to hear you feel so supported there. There are so many women who listen to this podcast and who follow women in work who are women they serve on church staffs um and in mm-hmm. all kind of various roles um some feel more supported than others um yeah. for all different kinds of reasons but you know is mm-hmm. there any just encouragement for for these women who are in the trenches they're in the trenches they're serving the lord to the best of their ability 
Um, but they're just feeling a little discouraged for, you know, you know, how would you encourage yeah. them? Um, I mean, one thing I would just say is press on because the Lord sees you. Uh, and even if you, even if you think that not everyone sees you, the other thing I would say is there may be more people who see your work than you realize, you know, and let your work speak for itself. And that's an entire body of work, you know, cause I will, I will encounter, uh, women who, um, and it really probably has been in the last two or three years that I've seen this, that will talk to me. And they will have desires, you know, to be in a, a, a role, um, getting to do some of the things I, that I was doing. And I, I, there are two things that I learned. One is, or two things I'll tell them. One is I learned that you get into some of these roles and into some of these rooms and it isn't as fun as you thought it would be. So <laughs> remember that, you know, because um, it's hard. I mean, it, it's it sure. can be hard. And the other thing is some things that, I mean, it it took 20 years. It took 20 years of relationships. It took 20 years of, Mm -hmm. of building a body of work that has to speak for itself. And so, um, so don't lose heart. And then also find ways to really pursue your passions and your loves, even if you don't know where it's going to go. Like Mm -hmm. if you just, if you love to read, if you love to study, you know, certain things, Mm-hmm. I, I have come to realize that the Lord ends up using a lot more of that stuff that we think is sort of futile, those developments that we think this isn't going anywhere. It ends up uh, in the strangest ways. You know, I one of the things I did for the SBC for several years was serve as a parliamentarian. That was like, there was no, I mean, 10 years ago, there was never in my wildest dreams that I think that I could do something like that, that the mm-hmm. opportunity would even open up. Right. It was a, a, like a series of events that kind of led to that. So I just was this random person who had a, an interest in Robert's rules of order. Who does that? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but I just gave myself permission to still be interested and study it anyway. Cause I liked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then the door opened up that I would have never imagined. So huh. I, I also want to encourage people. It's okay if you don't know where this thing is going to end up, but that you oh. just love it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Like That's great. enjoy and get, and get fulfillment in some of those things too. That's great. That is so great. I can't even imagine. I can't even tell you the sheer number of women who I have spoken to, who was like, I started life this way. God gave me these experiences, these experiences, these experiences. And then now I'm doing this. And I never would have thought that these experiences would have gotten me this job. And so it's so great. Okay. So I know you have worked with some incredible men. I know that you have had some really good doors open for you. And it's because of men advocating and really, um, uh, giving you opportunities. But I do also know that you had to have faced some challenges working in spaces that are really more male dominated. So what, what are some of the challenges that you faced? And then how have you overcome those? Yeah. So, I mean, I, and, and I want to be careful here and in answering that, but I think every woman experiences this. Of course you go into rooms where there are people that don't understand why you're there. Mm-hmm. And they, um, and, and maybe they don't even think you should be there. You yeah. know, uh, they may think that you're there to, to, to just bring them the coffee, you know, right. or whatever. Um, I, I can be the master of the stone face and act like I don't know what's going on. Like I just, you know, 
uh, inside I'm taking it all in, but I just sort of let it roll off of me mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I can play dumb, you know, and, and I, I don't even mean that in a derogatory, but I just mean like, act like I don't even know what's going on here yeah. mm-hmm. and, and keep, um, and, and I, I can, I, I would also be just really circumspect that, I would be careful in conversations to not speak up at everything, but I would wait for the moment when something got said in my area of expertise mm-hmm. so that, and, and I would be proactive. Like I'm going to hold back until something comes up that I know I know the answer to this, or I know I have something to contribute and I'm going to, I'm going to speak up. And then when I would, you could kind of see, on some faces like this surprise, like, oh my goodness, she has, (laughs) she has a great idea. Wow. You know? And so I, I, so I was very, I mean, I I think I'm kind of wired like that anyway, but I was very strategic going into situations like that and then recognizing that, okay, maybe some of the people around this table don't think I should be here, but the person who invited me does. Right. Right. And I am going to, take that to the bank and I'm not going to be afraid or hold back, you know, and I'm going to take the opportunities to kind of speak and participate as they come. Um, and, and then, you know, I, as you said, I've had a lot of opportunities for some, some incredible, just encouraging men. And my husband is one of those two. Mm-hmm. He's been very encouraging to me. And so when, when incidents might happen that were uncomfortable or awkward or whatever. I mean, he was a great person for me to come home and talk to and, and we would laugh and, you know, then you, you just kind of, kind of get ready to move on. And every now and then something might come that, that has to be addressed, but I always tried to make sure um, if I address it, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt. I am going to try to think the best of, of them and to be as gracious and kind as possible, and then also be ready and open to say, that's probably something I, someone that I don't need to work with that much. Like I, mm-hmm. that just may not work. So I'm going to need to go and work with the people as much as, as much as I can. Um, so some of it is just kind of endurance. Some of it is saying, I got to just let some things roll off and keep going. So I don't yeah. mean like knock me down and, and I'm out, but just I've got to let them roll off, give grace to that person, recognize maybe they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they don't know that I have have the the right or the ability or opportunity to be here. I'm just going to keep going mm-hmm. and kind of put some blinders on. So uh, that, and in a lot of cases, things have sort of worked out. Like others, you know, others might've advocated on my behalf or kind of stepped in and said, that's not, you know, appropriate or, or things like that. But I've also, I, I've been very, very fortunate because I've been in spaces where there are a lot of people who advocate for women That's to be great. a part of things. So, okay. So this has been my experience. So I'm wondering how it is going for you. So people assume that when you have a job that is a leadership position and you do, you have a boss job right now, <laughs> when you have that job, that must mean that your husband is either weak um or there's such this there's this tension with you having success and in your 
job um, because how could a strong, capable, respected woman have a strong, capable, respected man, right? But I happen to know who your husband is <laughs> and yeah. I happen to know that your husband is a strong, capable, respected right. man, the boss job himself as the as our provost here. Um, so talk about that dynamic of mutual respect in your relationship and even how what that's modeled even for your kids who are a male and a female. Yeah. So, I mean, we've really from day one, I mean, we we have kind of worked as a team in our home, but also kind of in, in the world. We've done so much together. I mean, when he when when I was home with our kids, he was a pastor and I was there in this small community. A lot of times, you know, for a season, he was the only pastor on staff at the church. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm like doing that alongside him. So we have sort of been in the trenches together so mm-hmm. much. Uh, that we we saw it that way. Um, one of the things we've had to for sure work on is we we are always we are always out for the other t- success. Like we want the other to to thrive and to flourish. Um, we have had to navigate, particularly as we have taken on more leadership roles in each of our lives and and jobs. We've had to recognize the amount of mental and emotional stress that hmm. that can just put on a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that when it's on both of us, that just adds a a layer. Like sometimes you need to be able to come home to your spouse and to unload and say, Mm -hmm. I've had a really hard day. Here's what all has happened. But if you're both in roles that have a lot of intensity and at times we've both worked at the same organization, which has a whole other layer because sometimes, yeah, the, we'd have these conversations in the kitchen. He'd come home and say, man, I had this meeting and it was so crazy. And this person said this. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, that's not how that's supposed to happen. And next thing you know, he and I are having a meeting in the kitchen. So, um, so you know, what we've had to realize is we have to work hard at how to manage those things. We've even had to, to really think, and some of that in my role at the summit, I mean, the transition I just made, that's been part of it because we have teenage kids. We have stuff. It was right and good for me to be in this role here. That's local. I was doing something where I was having to travel a lot and stuff. So we have to make decisions together about how much we can really manage in terms of, of stress and load. Um, but we're so proud of each other. Like we just, we love, I love to watch him lead and he, I feel like he, um, does so much, uh, to, to really cheer me on too. So it's kind of a team approach. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're we're out there on mission. So I love it. I think what you're saying too, there's not enough conversation. Maybe, maybe Missy and I can pick this up on another episode, but Uh the, the mental, the, the pressure that you feel from work that you do bring home. I mean, it, it, we need to talk about that more, Missy. We'll put that on the radar for next time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, speaking of just women in leadership and um, just what you're talking about, some of the challenges of walking, you know, you're at the table and people in there wondering why she even in here. Women from that might get a subtle cue. Don't, don't, uh, don't step into these leadership roles. You, you know, well, mm-hmm. not, I guess it wouldn't be so subtle, but, but they're thinking, uh, no, I'm going to back away. I'm not going to pursue this, you know, um, because of 
it might even be within them. It might even just be their own fear, keeping them from, you know, stepping forward. So how would you just encourage women to not shy away from possible gifts that the Lord put within them that they're just, you know, for a myriad reasons aren't stepping into? Right. Well, imposter syndrome is a real thing. And it's a thing that is very, very uh, prevalent for women that you always feel like I'm, I'm somewhere I shouldn't be. Yeah. And one day they're all going to figure out that, that they made a mistake. And, you so know, there's true. Always, and sometimes I, you just have to have some grit and sort of push through that and say, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here. So let me just, you know, Let's jump in. Yeah. And, and, a lot of that gets better with time, but you have to stick mm-hmm. in order for that time to pass, you know? Um, and I had to really coach myself a lot. Like I said, um, I would go into settings where I would get the sense these people may feel like I shouldn't be here, but I would remind myself, well, my boss who hired me thinks I should be. Right. And so I'm going to, so I'm going to cling to that, you know, in encouragement and he paved the way, you know, or, or whatever for me to be here. So I have a job to do. I've been asked to come into this setting, so I'm just going to do a great job. Mm-hmm. And, but, but that took a lot, it takes a lot of mental work, you know, to mm-hmm. say, um, to remind myself, cause it can be really easy to listen to that voice that says you should just give up. Don't worry about, you know, don't, don't worry about this. This isn't for you. Um, so that, you know, that was one thing. And then finding relationships with other people, other people, other women who are in similar roles or who have similar interests, whatever, so that you can have that kind of space to be able to speak freely and also encourage one another. That's really good. Well, as we wrap up, um, question we ask all of our guests and we want to ask you is what is one piece of advice you would leave with women who want to honor God through their vocational calling? One piece of advice I would leave with women. Um, I would say, don't give up. Hmm. Be faithful. Um, Be who you are. And then always remember, like, you're not doing this as an end unto yourself. You're you're part of something bigger. Hmm. And tap into that story. Like, the story of the universe says that this this is a victorious mission. We just get to be a part of it. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so just, you know, when, when we struggle or feel discouraged, we've got to remember uh, we're part of something bigger that has already been won. So mm, that's, that's, uh, th- that's sh- longer way of saying, hang in there. Yeah. That mm-hmm. big perspective really keeps you in there, keeps you hanging in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Amy. This has just been super helpful. A lot of good practical tips women can take with them. I know I will. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I've been excited and looking forward to this. It's been a long time coming. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to get to be on the road. Thank you, friend. This has been great. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. And thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.com. .net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe 
through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.